The One Tough Mother Podcast. The One Tough Mother Show is real talk with special guests, including industry leaders, celebrities, and amazing women who've overcome adversities to work their way to the top and are willing to share their real life lessons. Remember, you don't have to be a mother to be one tough mother. It's all about you. And welcome to the One Tough Mother Show. We have a wonderful show today. And of course, we have our dear friend and therapist, Sherry Botwin. Then I'll tell you more about her in a little bit. And we have a fabulous guest. But first, I have to ask this. What's new with you, dude? What do you mean? Uh, I don't want to say anything, but it looks like you've been uh, working out a little. Oh, stop. I'm just really calling you out on the carpet. Have you been putting up weight? Oh, oh I thought you've been calling me out on the carbs because I, <laughs> I, I put on weight <laughs> instead of putting, putting up weight. Uh, no, I'm like I'm like a weekend warrior now. Take my kids to swim class, and then I throw them in babysitting and work out. Yeah, you got the dad bod going. It's it's better than the average dad bod, but for me, it's a dad bod. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. You know what? Honestly, since I've been working so much, I have like slacked off in the gym, and I'm going to be the first one to say it because I'm open and honest about it. I feel like shit because I haven't been in the gym as much as humanly possible. Welcome to my life. I know. It's like I think about it. I want to do it. But when you're on your feet 10 hours a day and you come home, you're like, oh, dude, I just got, I'm going to work it back into my schedule. Spring and summer is coming. I'm not going to look not buff. Like I have to be buff. Well, I have some, uh, it might be too personal information, but I have some news. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm frightened because today you've been so bitter. So I'm frightened to hear this, but do it. I went on a consultation for a vasectomy yesterday. I yeah. Too, I got too many kids. That is too definitely... Personal? No, I'm. Oh, I'm just. We be that is a. Talk that, about that. Is, that is definitely needed. I was going to say not too personal. I make great kids. I know you have a. Just, you have fabulously adorable, awesome kids. But guess what? Keep it in your pants. Oh, ouch! Locked well, no, up. I'm trying not to. That's why I <laughs> keep so it I, in there, locked up. So I don't have to keep it in my pants. But uh, yeah. Oh God, even this the, is like going bad really quickly. Like, even the consultation was uncomfortable. Really? <laughs> yeah. Why? <laughs> what? Are they, how do they consult you to that? I mean. Well, because he decided, like, he has to check out the whole area. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, let me check your prostate as well. I was like, great. He's <laughs> like, can you buy me a drink first? What's going on here? <laughs> Holy cow. Well, welcome to a woman's world, little, my friend. It was, was a little rough, too. <laughs> I have nothing to say about that except <laughs> welcome to a woman's world. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so I hope it happens, and I hope it works out for you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm getting it. It's not, it's not if, it's when. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. so now you make the decision. Here's, here's what happened real quick. Oh, you should get a vasectomy. I'm never getting a vasectomy. You should get one. I'm never getting a vasectomy. I'm pregnant. I said, I'm getting a vasectomy. That was it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the truth. That's what happened. <laughs> well, all righty. I'm happy for you. And uh, if you need me, you know where I'm at. Call me. You know, we are for friends. What? We are partners. For I'll, uh, I'll know. come and hold your hand. I don't know what no, to I'm do. Good. Leave me alone. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I hope it, everything turns out uh Thanks. Hunky, Thanks. Dory. Uh, I'm sure I'll be, I'll be sharing. Cause I like I'm to sure you will share it because yes. you do overshare it. When I come in with an ice pack for one of the shows, you oh, know Oh, dear why. God. Let's <laughs> not go there. It's too much already. All right. All right. But in the meantime, I'm super, super excited about this guest. I mean, I booked this guest a long time ago, which we seem to book our guests so far in advance because we're always so busy. But today's guest is an actor, an author, a writer, and a comedian performing all over New York City and Los Angeles. Having overcome her own personal struggles, she is a passionate public speaker with a mission for all to see, feel, and understand about their self-worth, empowerment, and value, which I love. Her talent is enormous. Her energy is 
boundless. And she loves people and lives every moment to the fullest. And you could tell that by her attitude coming in, couldn't you? Even on crutches, she was like a powerhouse. (laughs) She avidly (laughs) practices the belief that you can be anything you set your mind, heart, and spirit to. We welcome with pleasure and with total and complete respect to the One Tough Mother Show, the author of Deep Dark Blue, a memoir of survival, Polo Tate. Welcome, Polo. Thank you. What a welcome. Oh, I really appreciate you having me. Well, we, we are so happy to have you. And I'm sorry that Seth's a little bit off today, but that's normal. No, I, I had <laughs> come in for a vasectomy and I realized I'm in the wrong office. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for, thank you for, thank you. Just I, thank just, you. I have to say, it doesn't sound like that was a consultation. I think that may have been it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the, like the, um, Foreplay. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I'm just so glad that we're partners. Anyway, Polo, you got to give us the beginning of your story. I read your book. It was beautifully written, very creatively twisted. I mean, I'm a very bad reader. I am. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I have very bad ADD, which is I can't sit for more than five minutes. If I have to sit for more than five minutes, I'm pacing like a lion. So for me to sit and read a book, it was like, Whoa, that's that's pretty big. And mm-hmm. so I really dove into your book thinking I'm not going to be able to read this book. And I loved it. Wow. I really loved it. Wow. A, because I come from a military family. Mm. Um, B, because I lived in Colorado Springs. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Right so next to the know. Air Academy. And mo- both of my sons went to the Air Force Academy for their well baby checks because I had my children military. Right. And wow. it's just that everything that you say or do in this book uh, really, really leads to things that have happened in the military and things that really upset me about it because um, I'm such a huge advocate of, of us as well as you are. Yeah. So let's go from the beginning. As a child, your focus was amazing. It was. And, you know, I so appreciate your words of uh, about reading and the fact that you you have ADD, and I, I just consider that motivated, you know, and interested in a lot of topics. And I know, and I, I've struggled with attention myself, so perhaps it's written in such a way where <laughs> right. we go back and forth for that reason alone, you know. Going through the chronology of somebody's life is sometimes, it's, it's not easy to get through. But what I had gone through since day one in processing was a whirlwind to the nth degree. So um, I so appreciate you reading it. Right, and, and it's it's self diagnosed ADD, but I know what it is because sure. I can never I could never sit any length of time without <laughs> welcome going to my crazy. World. So so when I read your book, I really felt akin to you because you are yeah. such an overachiever and such a tell us let's go from eleven. You knew at eleven years old what you wanted to do. I did, and truly, I I was always very self disciplined. I was always um, rough and tumble, always outside playing with the boys on all boys' baseball teams and soccer teams. And um, for some reason, I always knew, just as we were talking about, that I had to incorporate my physical and my mental. I mean, in in high school, I used to throw a ball against the wall while I was studying just to occupy my physical self so that my mind could focus. And uh, it was always integral and uh, sort of inextricably linked. So it was very important to me when I came across my first basketball coach showed us the movie Top Gun. He had written it. And wow. I, I know. I know it sounds... He wrote it. He, he wrote yeah. it? He did. Oh, Whoa. That's pretty such cool. Such a beautiful soul. Yeah, he was, he was an incredible, incredible man. 
And he was also our coach, right? So we used to watch it before every game. And it may sound trite, but this is the power of cinema. What it did was it ignited my passion. I finally found something. Here it is, a representative, a representation on screen that you can live a lifestyle and get paid for it. You can have your whole heart and your whole body and your whole spirit in something for the greater good, and that can be your occupation. And from then on, it was it was go right just, just don't be goose yeah. but but <laughs> oh goose polo, polo you your your family wasn't military no my grandfather uh flew planes he had planes my mom flew solo when she was 16 so oh. flying was in our family but definitely not military in fact my parents sort of looked at me sideways with uh, – I was always drawing military figures when I was little. Um, I got my first pair of dog tags to really cement my dream in metal at the age of 11. And they sort of looked at me cockeyed thinking, where is this coming from? But it really was that. It was the ultimate expression of that trifecta of being in body and heart and – And mind. Yeah. Right, right, right. How right. much did Top Gun have an impact on that decision? I think it, it had a big one. Do you know it actually did? And I know <laughs> it sounds it sounds trivial, but if you think about it coming from an artist's perspective, this is why we tell stories in manners that are so emotionally evocative and provocative is is that here I had never seen a military lifestyle before, not having come from a military family like you. So I didn't know that existed. And even though it was a Hollywood representation, it got me to the library to, to pick out books on military aviation, and w my ultimate goal was to go into the FBI and be a profiler. So, <clears throat> pardon me. So it it, it jump-started that passion to know that there was something in real life that I could do that was similar to what I was seeing on screen. And so Polo went to the Air Force Academy. Uh, on, I can't even tell you the rigorous, tough um, – rode a hoe to get to the Air Force Academy. I know what it was, and I know how hard it was, and as a woman, no less. I so appreciate you saying that. Often people don't understand the actual application process. It's a two-year process. Huge. So you, for you to know that just goes to show how you really did see it every day living in Colorado Springs. I mean, we were uh, psychologically vetted. Uh, of course, academically, there was physical testing. I had to get senatorial nominations. And I was accepted to both West Point and the Air Force Academy, not knowing which one I would pick until I had gone out on recruiting trips. So that whole process was pretty much my high school. So in terms of keeping on the straight and narrow and right. <laughs> being a complete nerd and a total geek for, for sports and academia, it was really important that I stay on track. And how... How and I, I say this from a civilian standpoint, as or, or as a former military wife, how looming and and majestic is it standing at the gates of the oh. Air Force Academy? Oh my goodness! Right? I mean, looking at the chapel, oh. looking down. I mean, the feeling that I got knowing that my brother was Air Force, my other brother was Army, my father was Army. I mean, oh. knowing that all the act. All the accolades and everything that you have to have and do to get there 
is just overwhelming, especially as a woman. You're nestled at the feet of the Rocky Mountains. Right. And you're looking out over all of these incoming cadets who are mostly male. I think I caught the eye of one female, and that's because I I had been recruited to play volleyball. And so we had seen each other on our recruiting trips and immediately locked eyes and were like, holy hell, we're in this together, you know? Um, It was beautiful. And there is nothing like a blue Colorado sky, 360 days of sun, even in the midst of a, of a snowstorm. You know, it's just a beautiful, majestic place. It is absolutely spectacular. So you get to the Academy, which is a dream come true in itself. And in the beginning, everything was good, right? You were really, you really were happy. You were really loved it. Moment one, I had been anticipating this for years. And I got there. Basic training was everything and more. You know, always expect the unexpected. There was nothing that I – we didn't know anything that was going to happen. They kept us moving every 60 seconds so that we couldn't anticipate everything. Everything was always changing. The only thing that we could get used to was change. But I threw myself in 200% and gave it my all, which is what my ethos was since a zygote. Um, and, and it – was paying off. It was a beautiful, one of the hardest things I've ever done, uh, much like Siri, survival, evasion, resistance, escape, you know, all of those things that are just throw you in the middle of the wilderness, fend for yourself, things that you learn. It was the ultimate team sport. And of course, that's what I loved all growing up. So. Right, right, right. And that discipline is something that's ingrained you as a, as a person. When you have that kind of discipline, even in my, even in my life now, I become so over disciplined to doing things and I, I don't understand why people don't have it and it's hard for us to come out of that that feeling right it is it's it took me a very long time to actually find what I consider balance I don't even know if balance exists really but to really not push yourself so hard that you're forced to take a break but to you know to sort of dial back before that happens but yes I think I think it is something ingrained and whether whether or not it was exacerbated exacerbated by a circumstance when you're young maybe an incident a traumatic incident maybe the loss of my sister right. spurred me to be that perfect child even more to make up for the missing sister that you exactly. wanted your parents to have everything they could have exactly right? and to never see them upset or cry again I think that's a huge impetus to always be the funny one always get good grades never make a ripple you know to to do that but I also think that it's it's mixed with something innate In my nature and in your nature, that really allows it to manifest itself through that form of very discipline and and allows us to do that in an extended period of time. I mean, I know comedy friends of mine who there's no way that they would wake up before noon unless they had a gun to their head or unless they were coming from the night before. Right. (laughs) Right. So true. I think it is. You know, it's it's nature and nurture. It is nature and nurture. I agree with you a thousand percent. So you're in the academy and and your dreams are are just amazing and it's everything's going right until you had the incident and i have to say the the naming of her horrible her blew my mind like that puts something in my head as like almost an an alter person an alter it's a, a form. A bo- I could not, I don't know anything about this woman or what she looked like or anything about her, but what I read from you. But in my mind, I already built her up as something horrible. Wow. By the way you wrote it. So explain wow. a little bit about what happens with that. 
so everything was going really well. The basic training had ended. The school year had started. The volleyball season had started. This is my first NCAA varsity game and season and something that I had been looking forward to even before I knew that I was going to go to the Air Force Academy. It was a big deal. And um, in high school, I had sort of been taken under the wing by a mentor of mine who was a senior when I was a freshman. And it here was this beautiful soul who didn't drink and was very um, motivated and on track. And she took me through high school and sort of set me up to be the next leader of the team. And so when I got to the Air Force Academy and we had one senior on the team, uh, she took me under her wing and, and started mentoring me in a very – in a – in an incredible way. And, you know, there are things that I am so appreciative of learning in this new environment that I had no idea how to swim in this larger pond. Um, but unfortunately, her personality was definitely not that of the personality of my high school mentor. And I didn't realize it until much too late, until we were at my coach's house in the middle of the night and she was on top of me, hurting me and attacking me that that she was really isolating me right. and grooming me of sorts to be at her beck and call and at her behest, uh, not only mentally and emotionally, but physically as well. And, and you just underwent really stringent and tough psychological warfare in your head because here's what happens. When you go in the military, you're taught that your superior officer the person that is above you, you do whatever they say, whatever they say. There is no question. You do not, you stand at attention. You do not sit. You do not divert your eyes. You cage your eyes. Everything about what you say in that book is is so true because I've, I've lived that. I mean, I've seen that day after day after day in my life. So you don't question anything. Yeah. So that was used against you as well. Oh, you that, did not question what was happening. Think about that environment. It is not only the perfect environment for uh, a progressive team that all works together for the greater good or to hide nefarious behavior from leaders who take advantage of those who cannot speak out against them. Exactly. So you're, you're really standing – the military in and of itself is standing on this tightrope where you can go either way. And if somebody who is not of sound – mind and body who's not working for the greater good, who does have uh, a nefarious personality and really is out for their own gain, it is the perfect place to hide and to keep doing it. Because you're absolutely right. My superior holds everything. Everything. All the power, all the orders, all the control over my day. Right. Inside, outside, at practice, you know, at... Uh, in class, my very position at the Air Force Academy is at the mercy of everybody who is ranked above me. And as a freshman, that's everyone. Everyone. And right. not only that, you had such a great experience with a mentor in high school that you thought, oh, this is great. You Walked know? right into it. And you know those red flags that put the hair up in the back of your neck? Uh, there were always, there always are signs, and often we don't see them until we're looking back at them in the rearview mirror, but I push them aside. Oh, everybody has pain. I understand pain. Clearly, that there are things that she needs to work through. Um, she said that I'm the only person that she could trust 
Right. She looked to me for social cues and things that she wasn't necessarily, thank you, wasn't necessarily um, adept at. And I just walked right past all of those red flags. Right. And didn't know that you actually can stand up to your superior or at the very least protect yourself in such a way that you that it's not too late and you don't end up being horrifically and brutally physically assaulted. Right, especially at the time that you were assaulted because a lot of things were coming out about don't ask. Yes. So yes. at that point in the military, <clears throat> I mean, you were th- there was always a, a shroud of silence anyway. Yes. You, you never, ever questioned. You never, ever brought anything up. But when the, um, oh, it's don't ask. Don't ask, don't tell. Don't tell. Hmm. That started happening. There, it, there was there was so much circulating in the military at that time. Mm-hmm. I can understand your complete and total confusion. Oh my goodness! Well, and and also the confusion about what I I feel innately, where I I don't believe it's a lifestyle choice that you choose. You know, I, I really do believe that you are born that way. Of course, I'm sure there are circumstances either way, but to to have homosexuality be a crime was utterly confusing to me right. and and not right. And so to look at it through that lens was just – it just cast a strange pall over the whole thing. Um, and, of course, here – this is my not only my superior and the only senior on our team, but w- who I thought was my best friend at the time. Right. And also it was quite a coup, the fact that she would even consider taking a lowly freshman under her wing to – uh, to make sure that our team won, to make sure that my squadron had a good name. You know, there's, there were multiple pressures coming from all different sides. And there wasn't, there wasn't any way that I was going to betray the trust of a, of a friend. Right. And I didn't read the book, but I'm assuming that you were not the first one that she did this to. Right? I, I can't confirm or deny, but I've heard stories. Yeah. So, yes. So this happens and you shoulder it because that's what you do as a soldier. Actually, you shoulder it. Yes. You 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 shoulder and you survive and you go forward and you somehow have to just shelf everything that yeah. you've seen or heard or has happened to you to get through the next day because you have so much big stuff in front of you, so much, so many mountains to yeah. say that you have to to push through. Yes. And then it happens again, but this time it wasn't her. Right. This time it was someone else. Three weeks later, a male cadet came into my room and he locked the door and he brutally sexually assaulted me. Right. And I don't think you ever found out if this was a result of her, but it, it, all speculation was. From I only have what he was saying, the words that were coming out of his mouth during, which are forever blazoned into my brain. So from that, uh, it would seem that his mission was to silence me right. from saying anything about the first assault. Right. As though you were were not already terrified and silenced to begin with. He right. just wanted to, like, seal the deal. Yeah. This was the, the way you were gonna, he was going to shut you up. So in the book, again, you talk about just getting through that moment by moment by moment. And really, you actually lived moment by moment. There was no other way to do it. Right. There was no, you know, when you... When you're put in that situation where you are in an acute survival situation, of course, the world narrows and all you have is the present moment. And it goes from present moment to present moment just in survival mode. 
Right. So there are things that happen during that time immediately after and then uh, days after and then weeks after that are a blur because you are so focused on the present moment and just getting through. And it was tough. It was not easy. Right, right. And so when you did when you did finally break, because you did, you just mm-hmm. broke, yes. finally. I mean, that was just so much for anybody to bear and so much for anybody to silently bear. When you finally broke, it, it, what, you almost feel like you, and just by reading what you wrote, you almost feel like you're, you're uh, I don't, guilty of something that you're not guilty of. Like reading your words was like you broke, so you're guilty of breaking as a soldier, and you're guilty of turning these people. It was just like whole swirl of everything, right? Oh, that's so true. And here's the beauty of our bodies and human nature is that if you try to put whatever has happened, some traumatic incident, into a box and compartmentalize it in one area of your brain and your heart, it is unsustainable. And your body breaks either in PTSD episodes. For me, it was PTSD disassociative episodes where I would shake and I would cry uh, all night and lose time going back to that those moments of the assaults in my head. And, and during one of those, a teammate of mine happened to walk into my room and was like, what the hell is going on? What is going on with you? Because, of course, my main mission after waking up every day and after uh, ensuring that my physical safety was sound, my main mission was so that nobody would find out, for me to act as normal as can be so that all of this would just go away, be put behind me, and I could carry on and do my job and and go to school. Um, And, of course, that's unsustainable. So I had told her immediately, or not immediately, but I had told her about the first assault, and immediately it was like I had pulled the pin on a grenade that was going to explode my life, my team. So here I was, having pulled the pin on this grenade that would explode everything, and yes, I felt guilty. Of course. That, That was exactly what I felt like. Not only did I feel like the whole thing was my fault anyway, which... Everything in the surrounding circumstances and about the atmosphere at the academy would support that, that I had somehow brought this on myself. I had somehow done something wrong to uh, to elicit this behavior um, and need to be shut up in such a way, in such a brutal way. Um, but here I was. Now the words had come out of my mouth into the world and made it real. Right. Right. It's no longer just a dream. Right. And you know what? The, I think the line that really got me about your book, the, one of the lines that you used, that you were hunted. Mm-hmm. And because you are every day facing those two, facing yes. those two people, they're always there in your life. They're always there. And it's like you were trying to avoid them every way possible. Go every way you could on <clears throat> at the academy. Go every direction you could go to go back and forth to school yeah. just because you felt hunted. How horrible is that to feel hunted? It gives me such incredible empathy and compassion for those in any kind of stalking circumstance or uh, even domestic assault, anybody who feels that they are the hunted one, because it is the most terrifying feeling ever, ever. Right. So after, after the trial, after everything was out, after... After and I'm not going to tell anybody. I want you to read this book because this is amazing. But I, um, 
after the trial and everything is out, and you end up leaving the academy, you yeah. went to Notre Dame. I did. And um, it, that wasn't always easy either, but you went on to what you were doing. And did, did you feel a loss, honestly, Polo? Did you feel a loss? Having to leave the academy? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. And for me, the loss was of this beautiful expectation of the place that I had come to know in applying. Right. And the place that I had seen on my recruiting trip on the outside, from the outside. And this beautiful ideal of what the military can be. Right. And often is for those amazing, fortunate people who choose to serve their country. So that was the most slap-in-the-face, horrifying realization, is that often women, because they're in such a minority, they don't band together and and say, let's show them, let's work together. And the men don't embrace them. You know, there are, there are that wasn't my experience. And I know that it is some people's experience. And for that, I am eternally appreciative because our country should be appreciative for the men and women who have amazing experiences in the military. It is very important that we, that we have all branches. However, there are things about it that need to be desperately ameliorated. And, uh, and this is only my story, as I've said. You know, it's not, um, but it does happen often, too often. Right. You were, ro- you were robbed of your experience, uh, basically. So much. Yeah. Sadly, so. And right, because you were you lived for that, and not many. You know, some people just do it because it's a, that's like a choice they have to make in life. Mm. That's something you wanted to do forever, and yeah. and for someone to take that away from you is a crime. It is so, so, so hard to hear because it is a crime because that was your future. That's what you had envisioned your future would be. And I feel like they took that part away. So, Polo, as you know, we have Sherry Botwin. She's the tough mother therapist on the line. And um, Sherry, hi, honey. Thank you for your time as always. Sure. Thanks for having me. Oh, oh, of course. Sherry, what happens in life when people lose what they consider to be their path? their passion how do they get redirected how did what would your what would you think about this how can you set your mind into to redirecting yourself i think the best thing you can do and i feel like um, you guys have already been talking about this is when you find a way to break the silence and work through your trauma and allow yourself to push the guilt aside and access your anger you can use that emotion to fight to reclaim the part of you that had that direction, felt like you got it taken from you, and then find a way to get it back. Right. That's some of what I'm listening to as I'm sitting here today listening to the interview, and I'm feeling very empowered over here, trying to keep myself very quiet in my seat as I think, wow, this is another example of somebody who really did not let what happened to them, Polo, I'm talking to you, you're not allowing what happened to you to to undo you or ruin your life even after the thing that you were living for you feel like was taken. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it, and it wasn't easy to get to that place, but just like we had been speaking about, you know, you'd, 
in the moment, you don't realize this is what this is the thing that I've been building my life for. Now all my dreams are dashed. My my thought immediately was, what do I do now? What right. is it that I want? After after you're done purely surviving, you know, you regroup and you take stock and what is it that I want to do now? And so, you know, we live our lives on a continuum. Often we don't have the the privilege or the opportunity to reflect or we don't take it until when we're farther into another task. So I so appreciate you saying that. And my goal at the time was just to keep moving. Right. And truly keep moving. Right. I think that works. That works. That's a kind of a therapy thing, isn't it, Sherry, to keep your mind moving forward? I think that's one of the best things that you can do. And again, when I hear you saying about surviving the trauma, a lot of times the hardest part is the aftermath, the waking up after the trauma happens and then thinking, now what do I do? Because like you were talking about, we find ways to get through horrific situations. We, we have these defense mechanisms that we utilize to get through the worst of the experience. But then a week, a month, a year, 10 years later, when we realize the magnitude of what happened to us, that's when people tend to get stuck. And what I hear you talking about is that you found a way to not get so stuck, like you were able to keep your life in motion. And I think that's, that is an amazing quality. And it sounds like it's one of the qualities that you were born with. And you're able to use that moving forward in your recovery, which I think can really make a big difference for so many people. I think it's amazing, too. I mean, like you really have focus now, right? Now I do. And, and that to to speak to what you just said, first of all, thank you. <laughs> it's so interesting. Writing is such a solitary endeavor and going through these things, you know, especially given the subject matter of anything sexual assault related, you tend to keep it to yourself. It's something that you don't offer up in casual conversation, to say the least, or any conversation sometimes. And we finally uh, push and pushed and pulled at the social framework to allow space to have this conversation and for you to want to talk about my book. I'm just so appreciative that you're making space for this because often in those pure survival stages, my I had I didn't have healthy coping mechanisms to get through. You sort of do it by any means necessary if you haven't learned otherwise, right? Right. So I was very much doing whatever I could to soothe myself in the immediacy afterwards. And thankfully, I had, you know, my mom is the type of person and my father is the type of person to to encourage you to not wallow or get trapped in that loop of destruction and self-destruction. And, and to be quite honest, there were moments of rock bottom in my self-destructive behavior and just trying to soothe myself that I was woken up to the fact to uh, to the fact that I needed to make a change drastically and immediately or else I was not going to survive. Right. Well, this is around a lot of times this kind of behavior, this kind of incident turns us to the behavior of drinking or drugs. So often anything to physically soothe. For me, it was eating disorders, PTSD, um, 
disassociative uh, behavior and uh, self-injurious behavior because I knew how to conquer physical pain. I didn't know how to conquer emotional pain. And so for me, and it, and it's something that's so rarely talked about, but getting to be more and more, but anything like cutting or, or self-injurious behavior is, is so taboo usually. But for those of us who who have been overwhelmed by an emotional trauma and who have been so physical uh, their entire lives and know and understand how to move through physical pain, it is often the path of least resistance to deal with emotional pain. And of course, that's unsustainable too and very dangerous and scary and all of those things. And it is the default mechanism for those of us who have who are the pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps yes, type of people. absolutely. P- Sherry, do you see that in the practice as well? See, I love this part of the conversation. I, this is all I see. I work with most of the people that come in to see me are calling because they have an eating disorder, they're drinking too much, they're using drugs. I don't usually find out until one or two or three years later what is underneath that. The thing I love about this conversation is that a big part of moving forward and reclaiming life is not only about recovering from the trauma, but finding ways to take those self-destructive coping mechanisms and replace them with healthy, alternative lifestyles, changes. And what happens for people is they, when they understand the role of the cutting or the role of the bulimia or the role of the drinking too much, then they end up going out into the world and getting better jobs, finding partners, having babies. So this is the part of the work that I love about my job. This is what I'm doing in my office. And when you're talking, Polo, about that part of you that goes through these experiences and feels so alone in it, not only in the trauma, but also in the way that you're coping with it, I can tell you that this is all I do in my work is talk to people all day long about this this sort of way that we go from sur- surviving to trying to manage the aftermath of the trauma to fighting back and saying, no, I want to live my life. I want to take care of my body. I want to stop recreating my trauma, and I want to become victorious, and that's what I feel like the both of you are talking about today oh. so empowering and it's so possible I see it every I don't want to say I see it every day but I I see this happening for so many men and women when they take ownership of whatever it is that is holding them back and when they're willing to look at those self-destructive tendencies that they feel so much shame about once you can speak it and once you can name it there's, then you have so many choices about what you're going to do next. Oh, I love that. I love your words coming from a, a beautiful crusader who does see it every day because every behavior is symptomatic of something. 
right? And if it's a destructive behavior, then immediately you know in, in, in seeing loved ones and in your own behavior, if it is a self-destructive behavior, and it can be anything, it can be washing your hands too many times a day. But if it's something that's interfering with your life, then often it is symptomatic of something that's much deeper and uh, much more traumatic usually. And of course, that's all relative too. But, but the point is there is a time at which we as victims or survivors have to stop and take responsibility for our life and really ask ourselves, is this how I want to live? Right. That's what I'm hearing from you. And that's what I want to know about. Like with your life lesson, would your life lesson be face it and then go forward, right? My life lesson is absolutely that we are here to experience the full range of human emotion. There is no shame in having experienced something that makes you feel uh, terror, devastation, shame, courage, joy, enthusiasm. Our human experience is to feel the full range. It's not to stay at the happy end of the spectrum and have no experiences that cause us to travel up and down the emotional scale. Everything is is okay. You shouldn't be ashamed about everything. So yes, face it, because it's the only way that you're going to be able to traverse it and to know what it takes for you personally to climb that emotional scale and to find what makes you happy and to live a life that's authentic and that's open and that's free and not at the behest of some childhood trauma or trauma that happened in your adulthood. The only way to traverse that in a real, authentic, true way and in an organic way is to take a look at the dark and scary places inside your heart right, and right. inside your life experience. And and for for people to know and understand that we are all human. We have all had experiences that we are ashamed of or that have been so scary and petrifying and violent and whatever, you know, on the spectrum of, of experience, whatever you have experienced, we've all experienced what it is to be human. And, and therefore, there's nothing to be ashamed about. There's nothing that you should feel so shameful about that you're hurting yourself. Right, right. Anything else you want to add, Sherry, before we go? You know what? I want to say one other thing. Polo, I know that when you were talking about your traumas, those were things that happened to you when you were becoming an adult. And the other thing that I'm thinking as you're talking about all that you've done with your life and with your history is it is, it is really important that we find a way to take or to, to talk to our younger selves, to have the person that we're in the room with now, our adult selves, and talk back to that younger, vulnerable person that felt taken advantage of, that felt disrespected, and to offer that part of ourselves love and compassion, especially as you're going down the path towards figuring out what do I do now, now that I understand what happened to me, what do I do with this? I think. We have to keep talking back to that part of ourselves because it will get triggered. But to just say to people, don't let that scare you. Every time you're triggered and you are being hit with another reminder from something in your trauma or your history, use it as an opportunity to work through another piece of the trauma and also in the present 
continue fighting to have, like you said, the full gamut of emotions and the right to experience all that life comes our way. We, why shouldn't we have that? And I think we need to just keep looking out for the, our younger selves that didn't understand what we understand now. Oh, that's so true. And for me, I find that in meditation. I find that in in places where I can reach, you know, a flow state and playing ball and doing something where I, you know, experience my true heart. But it is if if there is anything that we can and and should do to not to first ourselves and then to those around us is to reinforce the fact that we are enough. Just as we are, we are enough. We are surrounded by love. We are supported. We are brilliant, beautiful, amazing beings that have chosen to do something with our life experience. And and so often the societal chatter is you're not enough, um, you know, unless you buy this product or you're not enough in, in these ways. But if we can truly speak to our inner beings and our inner child, as you were saying, and first and foremost, and then to reinforce it with those around us that I see you, I hear you, and you are so much more than enough just as you are. Right, right, right. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you, Sherry. Again, Sherry is the tough mother therapist. Sherry Botwin is a licensed clinical social worker, an author, a keynote speaker, and a survivor who has over 20 years provided individual group and family therapy specializing in trauma, abuse, eating disorders, anxiety, and depression. Sherry, we can't thank you enough for generously giving of your time and, and taking the time out of your day to come on the show and always help us with these issues. We, we so appreciate you and love you for what you do. Oh, and I, and I love being here, and I love this conversation we had today. I think it's so important. I think so many people are going to benefit. I do, too. Oh, Absolutely. I so agree. <laughs> and I have to thank you, Polo. I mean, the book is amazing. I actually brought my copy of the book for you to sign it. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> oh, I was like, I'm going to get her signature on this. I think that the book was very riveting and amazing. I'm so sorry for what you had to go through, but I'm so overwhelmed and proud of what you're doing now because you are making the difference. You are out there talking about this. You are putting the most personal parts of your life on display for everyone to see, read, feel, touch, and hear. And I think that is an amazing thing for anyone to do, anyone at all. So I have to thank you. Um, where can they find you? Well, first, give us the title of your book again, please. Sure. And thank you so much for your heartfelt words. Oh, I feel it from you. And and it is I who who wants to thank you for creating the space to actually have this conversation oh. and truly be open-hearted and organic and authentic in your desire to, to make space for it. So I cannot thank you enough for that. Oh, My book is titled Deep Dark Blue. You can find me on my website, polotate.com. That's P-O-L-O-T-A-T-E.com. You can buy the book there. You can buy it at any place where they sell books or on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. It's an amazing read. And Sherry, where if, if members of the audience want to contact you? They can find me either on my website at www.sherrybotwin.com. S-H-A-R-I-B-O-T-W-I-N.com, or people are welcome to email me at S-H-A-R-I-L-C-S-W at Comcast.net. 
I love you both. You both are amazing, amazing women. I'm I'm super proud of this show. I I just I it's I feel so. I was telling Sherry, I feel like so many people are reaching out to tell their stories, and they're it, I can't continue. You know, it's it's a continual flow, and I I choose people that I think are very not that anybody's story is not as important as the other but that someone that really recognizes that they're, they've got to push forward and really mm-hmm. own up to it and help other people through it and I think that's exactly what you're doing the military is wonderful and lovely and everything about you know representing your country and protecting us and I thank them all the time when I see them thank you for giving your time you know time away from your family and your lives to to protect mine but there are things that need to be corrected and I'm so happy that you're there to point that out and to make a difference Mm, that means the world to me that and from somebody who truly understands so thank you so much okay and when we get back we're going to have Seth and he's bitter with his headaches and headlines he'll be back the One Tough Mother Podcast. Real talk with amazing women who have worked their way to the top and want to share their real life lessons with you. And we're back and we've got headlines and headaches. Okay. Okay. Sure. Well, All Karen, right. you want to live longer? Yes, I do. We'll try to start sleeping and start tr- stop drinking so much. <laughs> You're <laughs> such a jerk. You are so oh, weird wait, today. I'm, I'm I hate sorry. him. Whoa. Hate him. Whoa. That was a little buzzy. Okay. Those who believe that age is just a number may be right, according to a new study that suggests exercise performance may be a better predictor of how long you'll live than your age. Using data from exercise stress tests, researchers at Cleveland Clinic developed a method to calculate someone's physiological age based on how their heart responds during and after exercising. Very interesting. Very interesting. More than 126,000 patients participated in the study, which involved a treadmill test that became progressively more difficult. Researchers monitored the patient's exercise capacity, heart rate response, and recovery throughout the test to determine their physiological age. Researchers found that after an average follow-up of 8.7 years, that a patient's estimated... Oh, sure, Karen, just take a call while I'm doing headlines and headaches. Sorry about that, dude. No, it's not like it's your show. Okay. Researchers found that after an average follow-up... I'm leaving that in, by the way. ...of 8.7 years, that a patient's estimated age based on their stress test was significantly a better predictor of mortality than age even after taking into account gender, body mass index, and health concern like diabetes, smoking, and coronary artery disease. So telling a 45-year-old that their physiological age is 55 should be a wake-up call that they are losing years of their life by being unfit. I like this. I like this Well, you know, it just puts a qualifier on the common sense and the things we already know. I know. You know what, too? I never think about age. Like, people say, like, everybody always tries to guess my age. Like, how old are you? How old? I don't feel any age. You know what I mean? After a certain you have to feel that way, right? Yes. After a certain time, you like stop feeling any certain age. I don't know. Well, sometimes you think about it and it hits you, but it's like then you just let it. You know, you just, yeah. you're busy living your life. You know, That's it. Live my life. Yeah, you know, so it's my birthday. Shut up. <laughs> He's so bitter today. <laughs> Go shorty. Okay. Warren Buffett says. Wait, shh, everybody's listening. One decision separates successful people from everyone else, and will make the biggest difference in your life. Warren Buffett knows how to make smart decisions. Uh, one is to say no to just about. Everything and others to hire the right people, but there's one decision Buffett feels is most important you'll ever make: deciding who to marry. Wow! Oh, all right, sounds like he's kissing his wife's ass for Valentine's oh, Day. Oh my God! Valentine's Day is over. What's coming up next? Oh, St. Patrick's Day, maybe. Yeah, maybe that. As Buffett says, you'll want to associate with people who are con- the kind of person you'd like to be. 
you move in that direction. And the most important decision by far is that uh, respect is your spouse. I can't overemphasize how important that is. Marry the right person. I'm serious about that. It'll make more difference in your life. How do you know if it's the right person? I think he's. I think what he's say, trying to say is, and I'm sure if go back in more detail, is really make sure you're. You know, and that's why you don't get married. In my opinion, you should get married too young because you don't really know who you are in your early twenties. Right. Right. You know, so it's just a matter of, is this a person? You know, maybe sometimes you marry your college sweetheart and you really like to party together and have a great time and she's really cute. But is that someone who's going to help you grow? I mean, you know, are you going to grow together? That's why, you know, the divorce rate's so high. Right, 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 right. So, and maybe this is good for your second marriage or your third, possibly. I like being around people that you move in the direction that you want to move in. And so. you, want, you want support. You want people going to challenge you. You want, you know, people to help you grow. Right. So, um, and research backs them up. You know, one study found that people with relatively prudent and reliable partners tend to perform better at work. Earning more promotions, making more money, feeling more satisfied with their jobs. I can tell you from personal experience that settling down and being focused and, and when we're you know really on the same page, it just helps me with everything. Right, exactly. So it's just it's just a weight off your shoulders and just to know you have support and, and someone backing you up and, and you're you're working towards something rather than Because then there's support in your personal life as well as your as your um, public life. Like everything that you do, your work life, if they're behind oh, you and they're single, in their corner, you're in your corner. And when you're single, you might be really stressed about finding that person and everything else and it could you know overwhelm you when you're trying to actually work as well. Right, and getting to know that person on that level, right? Yes. Um, uh, researchers call it partner conscientiousness and um, according like to researchers uh, conscientious partners perform more household tasks exhibit more pragmatic behaviors in their spouses that their spouses are more likely to emulate and promote a more satisfying home life all of which enables their spouse to focus more on work as one researcher said, uh, these results demonstrate that the dispositional characteristics of the person one marries influence important aspects of one's professional life. In non-research speak, a good partner sets a good example and also makes it possible for you to be a better you. Right. Yeah, I Yeah, because like bad habits rub off as well as good habits. Yes. So if you're with somebody that has really crappy habits, they're going to rub off on you. I mean, I would think that anyway. It's, you know, just, I guess in short, say marry well. Marry well. Yeah, and really, uh, and you know, wealthy. If, you know, and I wealthy. Think, I, I think a lot of people, <laughs> I think a lot of people have uh, doubts, and they just go through with it. Well, we already, already kind of paid for the catering, and you know, yeah, 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 or Definitely. just whatever. Or like, I've been with this person so long, they feel like it's time wasted, and it's not because the time right. is gone. Right. So it's like, oh, I dated this guy five years after marrying him. No, you marry him if you want to marry him. Right. Maybe exactly. you wanted to marry him three years ago, and you don't anymore. So. All right, let's move on. Just you know, be smart. If you need some help, call us. We'll help. Yeah, you out. call us. We'll help you out. Yeah. Run. Okay. <laughs> uh, trying to learn a new skill. Here's how a circus acrobat keeps from getting discouraged. Oh, boy. Avi Prince Nadworthy uh, knows what it's like to make a big move. He fell flat on his face. Get up and do it all over again repeatedly. He shares a mental trick that can keep you going. Avi can do things most of us earthbound humans can't. He can do somersaults, whirl around in a sire wheel and juggle fire. He's performed the Cirque du Soleil. You might call him an acrobat or a circus performer, but if you ask him, he's a professional practicer. After all, he spends most of his time learning jaw-dropping tricks, relatively little time executing them. While it takes him seconds to do a backflip, he may spend roughly 48 hours figuring out how to do it and then mastering it. Even with his years of experience, he still gets discouraged when he's learning something new, and the life of a professional performer practicer means he's always adding tricks to his repertoire. He says, often when I'm practicing or training for something, I feel like I'm starting from square one, from scratch, which is a cue for many of us to go back to doing what we are already know. So how can we get past the square one feeling? By recalling when we learned how to type. 
remember looking at those letters and the symbols on the, on the keyboard and worrying, how am I ever going to memorize this? As uh, Prince Ned Warney says, it's important to remind ourselves that we've accomplished so much in our lives so far. Take a moment to marvel at the fact that you can type an email without looking down to find each key before you press it. Another everyday activity that many of us take lightly but shouldn't. Driving. Think back to your student driver days of tightly gripping the steering wheel of your hands, placed at 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock, keep reminding yourself which was the gas, which was the brake. You switched on the windshield wipers instead of the turn signal. You're so scared to merge on the highway. And today you take that for granted. So it's, it's so crazy, yeah. right? It's mind-blowing because you got to remember, sometimes I'm driving and I'm so deep in thought about something, I get to my destination and go, oh, holy cow, I, I wasn't even really paying attention to the driving because it becomes subconscious almost. Well, from hitting the deer, I'm more, I, I, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I saw some deer this past weekend. I was like, oh. Yeah. So be careful with the deer, guys. Yeah. One smashed my windshield a few months ago, if you remember. Um, yeah. So I think it's a matter of you know repetition and pra- practice, professional practicer. That's great. I mean. Like, you got to figure whatever he does, he falls repeatedly. Oh. And repeatedly and repeatedly, and he keeps trying and trying and trying. That's really mind over matter, dude. He's a chiropractor's dream. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Karen, your favorite topic. Tonight's, I know. Tonight's super snow moon on yes. February 19th. A super moon happens when the full moon coincides with the moon's closest approach to Earth in its orbits. In its orbit. Uh, super moons make the moon appear a little bright. I've noticed this already. We right. Were, we were looking at it. Last it's be- night, it's beautiful. It was gorgeous. Uh, it makes the moon uh, appear a little brighter and closer than normal. Although the difference is hard to spot with the naked eye. Oh, I spotted it. Oh, you can. With my naked eye. Yeah, me. My eye was naked, too. <laughs> <laughs> I spy with my naked eye. Yep. Uh, the first supermoon of 2019, 2019 was Super Blood Wolf Moon on January 2021st. Two more supermoons will follow on February 19th and March 21st. So if you're listening to this, you might have missed the February 19th. But look forward to March 21st. No, today's February 19th. Right? Yeah. So tonight. I'm, I'm telling people listening to the show. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm Stay sorry. Stay with yes. me, Karen. Sorry. Wow, I'm leaving that in, too. Thank okay. you. The term supermoon has only been used in the past 40 years, but it received a slew of attention in late 2016 when three supermoons occurred in a row. The supermoon of November 2016 was also the closest supermoon in 69 years, although a closer supermoon will rise in the 2030s. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll circle that on my 2030 calendar. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I love the supermoons. Doesn't it look really cool when you see them? I mean, when that comes it, up over the horizon by me, it looks enormous. It's um no, it, it was so bright and close looking last night that it looked like someone just had a spotlight in the in the sky. Oh wait, did you did you go outside and look at it, or were you driving? Just from or? The window. From oh our okay, window yeah. Window in our place. It just looked like there's a someone was putting a spotlight over the Y. Wow, yeah, that's so cool. Super bright. The supermoon may look especially large to you, however, if it's very close to the horizon. But that has nothing to do with astronomy and everything to do with how the human brain works. This effect is called the moon illusion. Ooh. Ooh. What do you do for a living? I'm a moon illusionist. I'd like to be that. Yeah. <laughs> it may arise from at least a couple different things. Scientists suggest that perhaps the brain is comparing the moon to nearby buildings or objects, or perhaps your brain is just wired to process things on the horizon as bigger than things in the sky. I don't know. Like, if you're in the city, I'm thinking to myself, when you see the supermoon, like, is it going to be like, whoa. That's huge because everything in the city is so big. Well, you know, Karen, the wheel in the sky keeps on turning. Oh, dear God. Oh, you just, you could not wait to bring that line out for some weird reason. Really? You had that somewhere tucked in your Mm. mind and you were just like dying to use that line. Is there ever a wrong time to use a journey line? Oh, well, yeah. If you're not clapping and singing along to journey when it's on in the car, there's something mentally wrong with you. We could do the show any way you want it. Okay. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, we want to thank our amazing guest, Polo Tate, for her life lessons 
Um, thank you for being here. She's just an amazing woman, and she's a lot to say. And you got to remember, the military, there's a lot of good, and there's a lot of things that are not so good. So please, you know, if something happens to you, reach out or reach out to somebody and speak to them. In the meantime, I'm going to say, Mother Says is, music is what feelings sound like. I love that. Today's Mother Says is, music is what feelings sound like. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, that's only used that. All right, I got to go because Seth's on a roll and he's bitter. Okay. Everybody have, oh no, please, have a great day and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Whoa, whoa, whoa.